Today, I'm going to be meditating on the concept of forgiveness. So these are a couple of stories that are fictionalized, but they're common and they're based on people I've known. Maybe you can relate. After 10 years of marriage, Mabel discovered that her husband had cheated on her. He notified Mabel that the marriage was over and that he was moving on with the new love of his life. Bill worked hard at the office to create an innovative marketing approach that resulted in a huge increase to the company's bottom line. Bill expected a big promotion and a salary increase, but he was horrified to discover that his supervisor had presented Bill's accomplishments as his own. His supervisor received a big promotion and a pay raise. Bill received nothing. Peter had an alcoholic father who abused and embarrassed his family. Peter was angry that he couldn't invite friends to his home for fear of what they would see. He was devastated to see his beloved family members wounded by his father's addiction. Peter believed that his father could fix his problems, but wouldn't. Mary was distracted while driving to the grocery store. She didn't see the pedestrian when she turned into the parking lot. The pedestrian was seriously hurt. Mary was deeply horrified and continues to relive the episode in her mind. Her guilt, unforgiveness turned inward, has her bound in misery. We've all got a story. Hopefully yours isn't as horrible as those I just mentioned, but my point isn't just that life isn't fair, but that Mabel, Bill, Peter, and Mary, and all the rest of us have a very difficult but hugely important choice to make. Forgiveness. Why? For the benefit of Mabel, Bill, Peter, and Mary, and ourselves. Unforgiveness can destroy us. It seems natural to want to turn our anger into a weapon against those who have hurt us, but that holds us captive to constantly relive the offense. Mabel's ex-husband, Bill's supervisor, and Peter's father caused grave damage. Mary caused the damage to herself as well as to the pedestrian. But medically, psychologically, and spiritually, holding anger releases poison into our own bodies and our minds. Here's a couple of studies that bear that out. So there's one that says anger outbursts increase the risk of stroke, brain bleeds, heart attacks, and aneurysm rupture. I'll link to these in the show notes. Anger decreases your immunity. Anger can exacerbate anxiety disorders. Resentment and hostility can harm your lungs. These are all titles for studies that have been done. Blame plays a role in chronic pain. Emotional suppression shortens lifespans. There is only one way to be free, and that's forgiveness. Without forgiveness of ourselves and others, we remain in a prison of our own making. Christians are warned in scripture of this principle and the danger. All of us occasionally fail. We like to think in these terms. His offense was a 10 out of 10. My offense was only a 2 out of 10. Or in the case of Mary, my offense was a 50 out of 10, and I'm horrible. God doesn't keep that kind of a scorecard. Our minds and our bodies are not designed to flourish with sustained anger and guilt. God has forgiven us and commands that we likewise forgive others and ourselves. That command is not because what they did isn't important or because the hurt they caused doesn't matter, but for our own sakes and for the sake of our relationship with God. Unforgiveness hurts us, not the person we're mad at. So a couple of scriptures that back this up. Mark 11, 22 to 26 says, So Jesus answered and said to them, Have faith in God. For assuredly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he said will be done to pass, will be done. He will have what he says. Therefore, I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. And whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him, that your father in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither will your father in heaven forgive your trespasses. So in this verse, Jesus has just cursed the fig tree and it withered from the roots, but Peter didn't see it until the following day, and he was amazed that it happened just as as Jesus had said. Jesus told him that he will have what he says and what he asks for from the Father if he believes in his heart, but then he talks about forgiveness in the very next verse. 
In other words, unforgiveness can hinder our faith, and faith is necessary to receive answers from God in prayer. Okay, another verse, James 5, 13 to 16. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed any sins, he will be forgiven. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. So this verse implies that sometimes the consequences of sin, including unforgiveness, can be physical illness. This isn't God punishing us for our sin. Jesus took the penalty for for our sin on the cross. Rather, it's sin giving an open door to Satan to steal, kill, and destroy from us. That's John 10.10 on a spiritual level. Or perhaps in some cases, Satan isn't even involved. But it's just the increase in stress, anxiety, cortisol, adrenaline, and even inflammation caused by our own emotions wreaking their natural consequences. Either way, if we forgive or release whatever the sin may be, we can release the bitterness that gave Satan the open door to steal our health from us and open the door to God's healing. So Matthew 18, 18 to 20 also covers that. We'll talk about that in a minute. Another argument for forgiveness is that it's only fair, not to the person who hurt us, but to the Lord. We are to forgive each other because God has forgiven us of far more. 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Colossians 3.13 says, Bearing with one another and forgiving one another, if anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. Matthew 6.12 and then later 14 and 16 says, And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And the same prayer also appears in Luke 11.4. So I don't think this means we'll lose our salvation. Jesus paid for the sins of the whole world, 1 John 2.2, past, present, and future. But it could mean that the Lord will allow us to feel the natural consequences of sin of the sin of unforgiveness. So Matthew 15, 18 to 20, again, I'm going to get to that in a second. And also Mark eleven twenty five that we already covered, cover that same concept too. Luke six thirty seven also says, judge not and you shall not be judged. Condemn not and you shall not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Luke 17, 4 says, and if he sins against you seven times in a day and seven times in a day returns to you saying, I repent, you shall forgive him. Okay, so Matthew 18, 21 to 35, this is the parable of the unforgiving servant. Then Peter came up to him, Jesus, and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he had begun to settle accounts, he was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. But as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and that payment be made. The servant therefore fell down before him saying, Master, have patience with me and I will pay you all. Then the master of that servant was moved with compassion, released him and forgave him the debt. But that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat saying, pay me what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him saying, have patience with me and I will pay you all. And he would not but went and threw him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what had been done, they were very grieved and came and told their master all that had been done. Then his master, after he had called him, said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. 
Should you not have also had compassion on your fellow servant, just as I had pity on you? And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due him. So my heavenly father also will do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. But okay, back to me now. Um, if we forgive, does that necessarily mean restoring relationship with that person? This is where, what trips a lot of people up. If they repent, the answer is yes. Luke 17, 3, take heed to yourselves. If your brother sins against you, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. But note here that repent means more than just being sorry. It means to turn from the direction you were headed and to turn around and go the other way. It means they have demonstrated a change in behavior and that they are not going to continue in the same pattern that hurt you originally. 2 Corinthians 2, 5 to 7 says, but if anyone has caused grief, he has not grieved me, but all of you to some extent, this is Paul talking, uh, not to be too severe. This punishment, which was inflicted by the majority is sufficient for such a man. So that on the contrary, you ought rather to forgive and comfort him lest perhaps such a one be swallowed up with too much sorrow. So we're to restore relationship in the context of church fellowship, according to that verse, rather than to ostracize that person once they've repented. But if they don't repent, it's a different story. So Matthew 18, 15 to 20 says, again, moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you've gained your brother. But if he will not hear, take with you one or two more that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. And if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. But if he refuses even to hear the church, let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. Assuredly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. So notice here that Jesus says that it's to, you're supposed to approach your brother directly. You're not supposed to tell everyone else what they've done behind to you behind his back. You only involve other people for the purpose of confronting that same brother or sister and not behind his or her back. If he or she doesn't listen at first, only then do you tell it to the church so that the other person can see their error. If they still refuse, you treat them as a heathen or a tax collector, which doesn't mean you hate them or that you're justified in clinging to bitterness. It just means that you're no longer in fellowship with them so that they can't continue to hurt you. Why did Jesus talk about binding and loosing and agreement in prayer while speaking of forgiveness and fellowship? There are both physical and spiritual consequences to our actions. If we sin, it gives Satan an open door to our lives. That's Ephesians 4, 27, to steal, kill, and destroy. That was John 10, 10. And to try to devour us, 1 Peter 5, 8. This verse suggests that we have the authority in prayer to bind Satan and his demons so that they cannot continue to cause spiritual consequences. And in context, it implies that we have the power to bind Satan's attacks against others, even when it was their own sin that opened the door for him. But if our brother or sister is set in their sin and refuses to see that what they've done is wrong, we can stop interceding on their behalf and allow the natural law of sowing and reaping to have its effect on them. Galatians 6, 7 to 8 just talks about that. Then perhaps the spiritual consequences of their sin might make them see the error of their ways. John 20, 23 seems to echo this idea. It says, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. And obviously we don't have the power to forgive sins. That's God's alone. So it must be talking about something else. And I believe it's talking about the natural consequences of those sins. I've just seen a lot of my patients struggle with this issue of forgiveness and have it actually turn into physical issues in their bodies. So that is the reason why I felt like this meditation is important. Hope that was helpful to you. Thank you for joining me and I'll see you next week. 
If you're tired of parenting advice and news headlines that are more confusing than assembling IKEA furniture, we've got just the podcast for you. My dear friend Abby and I are here to help you navigate the parenting roller coaster. Should your kids be on social media? What should you tell a friend facing an unplanned pregnancy? These are just some of the many questions we tackle on our podcast. Subscribe to The Real Deal of Parenting wherever you find your podcast.